It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello, welcome to Gagan Pressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you? Bryce, I'm very well, thank you. Welcome back from your hiatus. Yeah, it was on the last pod, wasn't it? Do you know, I it's believe. been so long, because I haven't seen any football. I couldn't remember if you were away or not. But you're always <laughs> away. You're away this weekend, aren't you? I, I was away this weekend, but I, I didn't miss a podcast, I, I don't believe. But I've, <laughs> I've, def, I've definitely left a, a part of me behind on that trip, I think. It's, yeah. it's the, just ignore me. It's the international break. I don't know what day it is when there's no club football on. Oh, I know. And and I have a feeling the first part of this podcast, I'm going to hope that uh, we weren't talking about international football more than ever. And on that note... Joining Chris and I is Manu Vett. Manu, how are you? Why are we not talking about international football? That's the best part. I mean, you were hyping it up so much in the last few days. Well, you know, it was unlucky. I don't know. Maybe it was the refs. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, that swayed it against us, I feel, you know. But but we've covered that now. So mm-hmm. let, let's just move uh-huh, on. Uh-huh, it's okay. fine. There was so the a Bundesliga. <laughs> Okay, no, of course, we've got to talk about the uh, the World Cup uh, qualification. And obviously, being a German uh, football podcast, we're going to have to talk about it. And unfortunately, they managed to beat uh, my uh, home nation in uh, Northern Ireland 3-1 in Belfast. And yeah, I'll hold my hands up and I'll say, well done, Germany. It's, it's been a fantastic qualifying campaign and they thoroughly deserve that victory. Uh, Manu, the stage is yours. Yeah, I was a bit upset because I tipped 3-0 for this game in my preview and you guys mucked it up for me. Last minute, who was it? Who scored the, the, the last goal? Oh, I should have read well, that. Chris Weir's match I've, report a bit more closely. Um, I've tried to blank it out so I can't even help you. Oh anymore. yeah, okay, well, someone, someone, one of you lads, um, messed up my, my preview by one goal. Um, no, but, what a campaign it has been. Um, I, I was, I was optimistic that, you know, we qualify. We, we always tend to qualify. I think we, we've always qualified if we were allowed to go into qualification because a couple of times we weren't because, um, various world wars and all that. But, um, whenever we were in, we were allowed to go politically, um, we did qualify for this tournament, but this has been the most convincing I've ever seen, uh, a qualification tournament. The, Goal difference, uh, 10 out of 10 games won. The goal difference was 43 to 4. 
That's a goal average of 4.3 per game. Um, and that's, you know, of course, San Marino were in this group, but I mean, there's some other results in there that were just incredible. Um, including the 5-1 against Azerbaijan. Um, there was a 6-0 against Norway. Uh, it, it was, it was an incredible campaign all around and really difficult to find anything critical about this campaign, even though Joachim Löw seems to be trying very hard to, to find something to criticize. But I mean, <laughs> curious to hear. I mean, Chris, you're, you're not German, so you, you probably look at it a bit different, but uh, is there anything to criticize when you see something like this? Not really. I think the only ropey match out of the whole qualification um, format was the game away in the Czech Republic and, you know, Germany won. So if you're going to play, it didn't play particularly badly that night, but it wasn't on a par with, you know, some of the games, other games we've seen, the 7-0 in San Marino, the 6-0 um, at home against Norway. It wasn't on a par with that. So if you're going to play off par one night and win 2-1, um, I think there's many teams across the world who would take that result so I can understand why Joachimlo is probably saying this he doesn't want to talk up you know the chances too much defending world champions at the moment you've had an unbelievable qualifier you know 10 games 1 out of 10 um, as you've said a plus 39 30 points so that's unbelievable so he would be well within his right at the press conference to say, yeah, you know, we've absolutely smashed qualifications and we're the reigning world champions and everybody should fear us and we're probably going to win it back to back. Now, if he said that, he would be told, oh, you know, you're too arrogant. So uh, maybe he's gone a little bit too far the other way, but, you know, Germany must be top favourites for this competition. And as Bryce has already said, the first team can win it. I'm not being funny that it was almost a second team and that's no disrespect to anyone that played. It was almost a second team that played in the Confederations Cup and that was done at a walking pace. Um, So, you know, if I was a national German guy and I was a massive German national fan, then I'd be quietly confident that we'd win the World Cup again. Yeah, I I am too. I think think that... um, on paper, they should be winning it. And I, I can't really see any other country that has this quite depth. There's a couple that are close, you know, that are, have very strong squads on and can do it on a given day could beat Germany. And that is really the thing that worries me about any tournament really is, you know, that every, every playoff match is a one-off. Once you get out of the group, it's a one-off and. We saw it in, in France in 2016. I think that Germany squad was hands down the best team in the tournament as well. And they had one off day, you know, one mistake by Bastian Schweinsteiger in the box and uh, it was, it was gone. You know, the title was gone. And that is always the risk. And that's why I say, well, on paper, if it was a league table, then, you know, they would want to walk away with it easily, you know, because the, I think the, when you, when you look at the league format, yeah, um, you can you can have a mistake, you can lose a game, and you can still walk away with the title. So that's really the only thing that I could see happening is that you know one bad day in the office um, is such a fine margin, isn't it? At the World Cup, you you know that you know the teams that can win it, but you can always have a slip up, and that will change everything. So are Germany the favorites? Yes, absolutely, 100%. I mean, um, I saw them at the Confed Cup and walking pace. Chris, you're quite right. They were, they were so confident and, you know, they didn't play a lot of people uh, that I speak to. 
uh, especially a lot of the uh, audience based in England, they say, well, this is a Mickey Mouse tournament. Well, Portugal and Chile sent their number one squads to this tournament and they were reigning continental champions. They took this tournament very serious and Germany still went there and won it. So I think it's, it's, um, I don't think the countries that went there did not take it serious. And, uh, when, if, when you went there and you saw how they played and, uh, how important everyone took the tournament, I think you see that. So I, I think, you're quite right. I think the only the only problem is um, it's a World Cup and something can always go wrong any given night. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Manu. I, I would have to say that Mexico would have sent you know, that well, they did send an A team and sent a B team to the Gold Cup as well. So there was another nation taking it very seriously and wanted to get the better of Germany, but it, it, they they came up against a star, far superior side. Uh, if if we just talk about uh, the qualifications as well. Um, Let's talk about the players on the pitch. I mean, obviously, uh, Lowe's going to have a hell of a decision as to who to bring. You know, he's almost got two players, too many players, you know, for the size of squad that you're allowed to take with you. But, uh, Manu, for you, um, who stood out for Germany maybe in the last two games? I must say, um, even beyond the two games, I think uh, Kimmich has had a, a fantastic um, campaign for them. And I believe he set a record for uh, for assists in getting nine. Yeah, he did. And, um, what a transformation he has undergone. Um, he's maybe the only Bayern player on form, on 100% form right now. He is, um, still young, 21, 22. And he's already a leader. I think he captained the team for some time even uh, against Azerbaijan. So that's outstanding. I think, um, when you look at his development, it's, it's incredible. Really, I mean, it's, he's, he's basically made, um, made it possible for Germany to go into transition without Philipp Lahm. And, um, we thought we wouldn't find a player that quickly in behalf. And I remember when Bayern first signed him and I thought, what well, if here's going to be a player who's not going to get very much playing time at all? And he's, he starts for them every single game now. Um, even under Guardiola and, you know, Guardiola used him as a center back at times and he, 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 you know, he took that position very well as well. And it's, he's such a, such a, such a multi-talent who can play so many positions and can play them so well. And, and it's already at a young age has a lot of leadership qualities. And I think that's really, um, I think something that surprised people over the last four years. When you look at his development over the last four years, and we all knew that uh, he was a massive talent, but that he has, that he can step into a, a leadership role like that so fast is, I think, quite outstanding. And, you know, that's, he's already played uh, 24 games for the German national team. Um, that's, that's quite a decent number, um, considering how young he still is. So yeah, he stood out for me. Um, I think Goretzka stood out for me in the last game, as did Leroy Sané. Um, those are two guys that I think, you know, will make, make the squad for the World Cup. Um, and, and guy who stood out for me in the last two games as well is, uh, Sandro Wagner. I think he, he's going to be a real problem for Mario Gomez. Um, you know, because Sandro Wagner and Mario Gomez are similar types of forwards, but that, that second goal, um, against Northern Ireland, the way he scored it outside the box, you know, um, with real power, he's, He's really, he's a little bit of a late bloomer, but he's, he's been fantastic. And you know, Chris, he's someone that we have watched quite closely, um, in recent, well, since we started this part, really, because he is quite a, quite a strong striker. 
Yeah, he is. The, the only thing I would say is I thought he had a disappointing Confederations Cup, but then mm-hmm. he had a long season. So um, he's come up with the goods recently, hasn't he? I mean, obviously banged a hat trick away against San Marino, um, you know, not too long ago. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'll be. I'll be keen to see how he gets on in a big tournament, but it would be so hard. If you said, now pick a squad to go away, there's players who you're going to be leaving out who you think, how am I going to leave those out? So mm. it's going to be a really difficult decision for him. And I would, wouldn't would be surprised probably if Mario Götze loses out because although we all know what a great talent he is and you know what he did in the last World Cup, you know his goal in essence, um, he hasn't been playing as much. I don't know if he's mentally ready for it, and there's there's people who are mentally ready for it. And I mean, if you just look at some of the some of the formations that Germany have played, they've gone three at the back, they've gone four at the back. I mean, when they've gone three at the back, um, Rudiger's not playing. He's a fantastic player for me. He's coming in when there's four at the back. Stindl's there, Draxler's there. Um, you know, and we can even go and win. Six and seven nil with Timo Werner not being on the pitch. It's, there's, as Bryce has said, there seems to be a plethora of options um, in the background. So you know, if you're short on midfielders, well, it doesn't really matter because um, Eunice is there, or Chan's there, or mm. Goretzka's there, or Brandt's there, or Draxler's there. Or oh, well, we're short on um, you know defenders. Well, Mustafi's there, Hector's there, Kimmich is there. Um, you know, um, Gintz is there. Um, Hummels is there, of course. Sula's there. It, there's just a really big um, choice throughout the depth, and you know everyone's going. Uh, Manuel Neuer is a massive loss for Bayern. Is a massive loss for Germany. But then in comes um, Mark Andre Ter Stegen, who's Barcelona's goalkeeper. So it just seems that there is a constant world-class player available for every position, even when one of the other world-class players is injured. Yeah, that, that's that's the really the puzzle pieces, right? I think that's almost the hardest task. How are you going to make them all fit together? I, I don't, I don't want to be in his shoes. Um, come, I guess May, next May, when he has to put it all together, there's going to be a lot of disappointments. And uh, you mentioned Götze. He's, he's going to be back in November. That's what Löw has said. So, but you, you're quite right. He could miss out on that squad as could everyone else you just mentioned. <laughs> It's, it's, um, I think it's going to be very difficult for him. Well, I mean, do you think that, uh, Lowe possibly has his first 11 wrote out or maybe his, uh, squad roughly wrote out? Or do you think players could really sway his decision, you know, uh, in the next few months uh, in the league, Chris? Well, I think there's, there's always time for someone to stake a claim. But if we're going to look at, you know, potentially who the first choice Defenders are Hummels is in there definitely. Um, Kimmich, you've already said. Um, Sula can make an argument. Ginter has been able to play there, uh, played against the Czech Republic. Um, uh, yeah, it's just going to be, it's difficult. It's difficult for anybody. I would say, Bryce, it's pretty difficult for anybody new to break through because even if someone has an absolute blinder out of left field now, somebody you don't even expect. There's so many people in that pecking order. If you just look at centre forwards, there's Werner, Stindl, Gomez. Uh, you do, there's, there's just so many. Uh, Muller can even play there if he had to. There's, there's just so much talent in there that I think for anybody new to come and break through, it would take something serious to um, either push out Wagner, um, Werner, Stindl, 
or um or, you know even Gotsa if he gets gets the chance or the possibility or Gomez sorry. Yeah, Bryce, uh, Bryce, about eight years ago, you could have come in as an 18-year-old in in into the Bundesliga and played 10, 12 really good games, and you would have made that squad. Now, there's no way. You know, even like a super talent comes in and plays a fantastic set of games, um, the established 22-plus-year-olds, they, they, yeah, you know, and the list is already long. I mean, there's 50 players on the list. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, would be very difficult for anyone that we don't have on the radar now to make that squad. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, it, it's incredible just the amount of players that they have, especially when, like, so Chris or yourself started listing the ball, you end up going, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think any, any nation in the world would be happy to have maybe half the, the, uh, the, the choices that they do have. But, uh, Manu, uh, Lowe has, uh, come out and been a bit critical, uh, towards, the Bundesliga uh, and their lack of success in Europe. What well, what exactly has happened here, and you know, what um, what can maybe the Bundesliga do about this? Yeah, this has been a long debate. I guess we had this debate in our last podcast too of the six defeats in six games. Um, you know, we we analyzed it in many ways, and I, I think Chris is quite right with his analysis that it's it's. Currently, you can make a case saying, um, look, the six teams, there, there were six good reasons why they lost. Um, and in three, well, in three cases, that's, um, directly to the teams being new to the international competitions. Um, I think what Löw means, it's the, it's more the long term, the lack of international titles. And it's not really the Champions League. I actually, I just typed up an article on this just before this podcast. And um, the Bundesliga does actually, when you take Spain out of the equation in, in the last, in the new millennia, and this is what, for, what Löw has said since the 2000, since 2000, there has been 17 Champions League winners and nine of them came from Spain. And uh, two of them came from Italy, two of them came from Germany and three of them came from England. Now, when you look at it that way, the Bundesliga has not done very well, but neither have England and uh, Italy and actually in England and Italy it looks way worse than it does for Germany because when we look at the Premier League and the amount of money that's available there uh, three different Champions League winners is uh, a huge disappointment I would say for the, the world's richest league Spain on the other hand I mean they have dominated European football and I would I, I think it's not crazy to say that the La Liga is probably the best in the world um, because when you look at the Europa League, it's it's very similar. They've dominated that competition as well, which means that they're, they're first, not only the first-tier teams, but also the second-tier teams. But I think that Löw, um, that's really what Löw is getting at, is the, the fact that the teams in the Champions League, that's one thing, um, you know, big money teams, um, that losing to PSG Real and that can happen, right? But I think it's the Europa League that the, the, the second, second tier teams, German teams, um, are not doing what needs to be done to win titles because he believes that winning titles, um, for the club and being competitive with the club will translate into national team success. And I think he has a very good point saying that, you know, uh, if you want to be the best league in the world, and that is the standard that the Bundesliga wants to be. And they're not right now. They're not the best league. It's La Liga. Um, and if they want to be on that level, 
it's all great to have beautiful stadiums, have them full and have all the talented players, but you also have to have a mentality of success. And that's something that he is, he doesn't see. And I think that is something that worries him. I think and that's something that personally worries me too is the, the, the mentality, um, that the smaller clubs often have that they, they focus too much almost on making money and making, building pl players, producing these really great talents. And the abundance of talent that we have is one of those results. We have so many talented players, but small clubs will make these talents and sell them. And, you know, that happens in Spain, of course, as well. But when you look at uh, Atletico Bilbao, Sevilla, um, they often have two or three players that you can identify with, you know, that they will not sell. And I think that the, the smaller Bundesliga teams have to kind of um, developing stars and selling them is great, but they also have to maybe just hang on to them a little bit longer. And I think Löw wants to see more depth in the Bundesliga and more depth all around and see more teams do better uh, because it will translate to more success for the national team. And also I think it's a trend that worries him because he always looks four or five years ahead, right? To the next World Cup. We might be competitive now, but the other countries are not sleeping. So I think that's really what he's getting at. It's it's something that has to be kept in mind in order for the national team now also not to fall behind in the long term. Yeah, you, you mentioned Manu about um, the smaller uh, clubs uh, trying to hold on to players. D does that is it not a bit of a tricky one because that comes with having enough money to keep these players mm. as well? Uh, because uh, as we've seen. Numerous times in in different leagues, you know, when a player says he wants to leave, it can be very tricky to hold on to him unless you have an endless amount of cash. Yeah, that's that's one one of the big issues. But the Bundesliga is not a poor league. You know, it's not as rich as the the, the Premier League, of course, but it has the you know, but it has the second. Uh, the third largest television deal in European football behind La Liga, and it's almost level with La Liga. And um, when you put an advertisement into the account, the average team in the Bundesliga actually has more money than the average team team in Spain. So the money is there. It's, and I think um, it's a bit of a mentality problem in, in Germany that, you know, every team is saying, okay, well, we can't really beat Bayern. So we're just going to become a feeder team for either Bayern or in order to, to come get it to the level to Bayern has we have to always sell every year our star player well that's great and that that might fill your bank account but it's not going to win you titles and it also means that a team like freiburg you know finishing the europa league and they sell two or three of their star players that's going to hurt them and hoffenheim similar scenario although you know domestically they're doing well internationally they're really hurting because rudy and Sula are gone because they sold them to buy and and i think that is something that they, the, the league has to look at. And one of the things that the, maybe the league needs to look at, and this is something the Premier League does so well, is even television distribution. In the Bundesliga, you, um, the, the television distribution isn't quite as even as in the Premier League. So I, I think that's, that's, that's one of the, the, one of the many issues. It, it, we can talk about this all day, but, and, you know, Chris, you're always a big defender of the league and, it's model, and I think you you are one hundred percent right. But there is always you can always do better, and I think that's really what Löw means, right? Yeah, most definitely, and uh, we all know why the Bundesliga is loved throughout the world, and and that's by people who don't even watch it. They love the atmosphere that goes with it. You know, they see it on YouTube clips, they see it on social media clips, and they go, "Well, why can't our league be like that?" And that's not just in England; that's from all over, but it's predominantly from England, and that's why there's thousands of 
English people flying over to Germany week in, week out to watch football games. But I think you are quite right. It's the distribution of the money which has made English teams um, be able to go on a on an even footing. That's why we've got the likes of Stoke City signing quality players. I, I couldn't see um, Augsburg signing an Anatovic equivalent when they did at that time. I couldn't see um, you know them signing a, a team a player from a World Cup winning squad, which would happen um, in the Premier League, even even the way down to maybe the bottom three up. Um, and that's what would make the league better, the Bundesliga, not an influx of foreign players, just an ability for those who are classed as middle to lower sides to be able to fight on an even keel and to take a more of a fight to the top four. And um, I, I do think, like you, Mano, that's what he's getting on about. And he's certainly getting on about the disappointing um, way in which the Europa League's been looked at this year. And we can look at Freiburg, who went out in the qualifying rounds, didn't even get to the Europa League playoff stage or even a group stage. Cologne have had a nightmare in the groups. Hertha Berlin are just playing, you know, Hertha Berlin style football. And and that's that's where I'm I'm a big believer in the Europa League. I think it's a undervalued trophy. I think if you are in it and you get lots of European experience, then eventually when either you win it and qualify for a Champions League, or you do what Hoffenheim did and you finish really high one season and you qualify for the Champions League, you've got all that experience. And I'm just sitting on the fence a little bit because I think there's three or four sides that don't have the right amount of European experience at the moment from Germany. Um, and will they get it again? Not really sure because you've got the likes of Bayer Leverkusen, Gladbach and Schalke who traditionally have that experience. They'll be looking to get back in next season. So I'm going to say what I did last week. And I know you've already alluded to it, Manu, but I think if those three teams are in Europe, I don't think Lowe's got as much um, complaint to, to maybe chat about. Yeah, Rudy Völler actually said exactly the same thing. And Kicker, he had a column in Kicker and he, he basically said exactly the same. Let's don't make, don't, let's don't make it worse than it actually is. Um, it's one match day. It was bound to happen eventually. The, the product is still strong, but I think, um, I think you can always improve on the product. And I think that's something that the Bundesliga, all the managers of the Bundesliga this week talked about salary caps and European football and restricting transfer amounts and restricting the amount of money investors can bring in international football. Well, start at your league first. Make sure that every team, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly the same, but it can't be that Bayern gets, what was it last year? They got three times as much television money than Leipzig. Now that can't be, that needs to end. Everyone needs to get be on even footing so that the, Rich don't become richer all the time. Um, so that, you know, someone like we had in 1998 when uh, Kaiserslautern won the league, um, promoted straight up, won the league. You know, so you want that. You want stories like that. You want a story like Leicester. Of course, it doesn't happen every year, but you need to be able to give teams more breathing room. And to also say no to Bayern when they come knocking on the door and say like, oh, we want this guy from your squad and this guy from your squad. And saying, no, we, we don't need to sell. So um, I think that is something that needs to be improved in the league. Just look at the television distribution before you yabbing about salary cups and um, luxury taxes and all that stuff that they have in North America. Look at your own league and see how you can improve your own product and put everyone on an even footing before you look at the European football. Okay, well, let's move on to Bundesliga and move away from the international break. That's done now. We've got an exciting weekend ahead. And we're going to talk about one of the sides 
that did contribute towards that per European match there in Bayern Munich. We're going to talk about their new manager or old manager. New of old? I don't really know. But Jupp Heinkes is uh, returning to the club for his fourth stint. Um, he left previously after winning uh, the very famous uh, treble. And uh, Manu, let, let's go to you on this. Um, before you explain just what type of manager he is, what type of coach, sorry. Um, explain, we obviously spoke about Tuchel possibly coming in, Nagelsmann coming in, some people were saying Klopp. What actually happened towards the end and how come they've, uh, well, they've given him his fourth stint? Oh, um, yeah, so I did actually an hour-long podcast with Mirzan Roth um, on on Thursday, so this is how long you can talk about the subject. I'll try to do it a little bit briefer. So now Bayern did talk to Tuchel and they were quite far um, on that subject. But the big sticking point was that um, Tuchel, there were, there were some issues that Rummenigge and Hoeneß wanted two different candidates, Rummenigge, Tuchel, Hoeneß, Nagelsmann. Um, Tuchel was available right away. Nagelsmann is not available, uh, period. He, he might not be available next summer either. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, but Tuchel also wanted to end um, Robbins and Ribery's time by next summer. Now you sign a coach and you want to have the, the one thing that Bayern need right now is stability. You know, they need stability to see out the season. And I know we're only um, seven match days in, but that is the point that Bayern at. They feel like they need to just stabilize the boat. Now you bring in Tuchel. And everyone knows that Tuchel is going to kick out Ribery and Robin. And that's going to be over the heads of everyone for 27 match days plus the Champions League plus the Cup. Um, that's, that's disaster programmed. You know, you just know that's not going to go well. So they had very heavy doubts about that, uh, especially because the press knew about it. People were talking about that. Um, he brought in a whole bunch of other demands, another demand, but Tuchel was 100% control over person, personalities. Um, any player brought in or sold or bought, he wanted 100% control. Um, as I said on Miesan Road, that is something that Bayern need to do eventually anyways, because Hoeneß and Rummenigge are getting on in age. Uh, they need to think about bringing in a successor, but because Rummenigge and Hoeneß did not agree whether Tuchel was that man, um, you know, there was conflict within. So they basically had a discussion with each other. Romanik and Hoeneß did. They um, said in a press conference publicly that there had been issues between the two. And they basically brought in a stopgap measurement in Jupank as a 70-year-old coach who they know has the experience, um, who won the trouble, as you said, um, to steady the boat. Now, there is a lot of risk in that. Um, Heinkes hasn't managed in four years. Uh, the times have changed. Um, he did bring in this assistant from Hermann, who Bayern had to pay um, money for uh, to get him from Düsseldorf. He was the assistant coach there, so he did bring in someone who um, has been coaching. But you know, it's 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 an, in some regards it is a it's an appointment that makes sense in terms of stabilizing the boat. But it's not exactly um, an inspiring appointment, isn't it, Chris? I mean, it's a little bit like, well, we didn't know what to do, so we just brought in Heinkes. And this is, again, this is for the fourth time um, that they brought him back. Yeah, I mean, 
we all talked about the um what's the right word for it the egos maybe a little bit of prima donnerishness um that goes on in the bayern dressing room obviously we've seen why ancelotti was gone uh, there's a main reason for that and that's because the players didn't want him there and yeah i think that there's some older generation of players in that dressing room who all want different things and if they were to bring in one of those people and the others didn't like it there would have been loads of trouble so this is a convenient um appointment it's a safe appointment probably at a time when they needed to go a little more risky if i was going to put in a bit more business speak i'd say that bind have been a little bit risk averse here they've gone with the safest option which at the moment might not be the correct option let's have a look at the teams around them have gone for maybe not necessarily you know the young manager um, bosch isn't as young as um, nagelsman for you know, for instance but they have Dortmund threw away the shell of of what was safe for them and they went and took a chance on someone who was basically unproven at a time when maybe they needed a big proven manager to come in and steer Dortmund back to a side where they needed to be. They took a risk. Um, German teams are forever taking risks. I think that maybe Bayern Munich could have taken a little bit more of a risk here and it's it's always dangerous when you get somebody who's done so well. Um, I mean, really, let's look back. No one expected that treble in that season when it came and it was handed over to Guardiola and he was supposed to take that team on. Um, that's not really happened. Ancelotti came in, he was supposed to take that team on. It's not really happened either, has it? Um, you know, those European Cups, the uh, Bundesliga trophy and the Pokal have not been seen together since he's left at Bayern Munich. So it is, it's a, it's too safe for me. And maybe it gets them to the end of the season. And as long as they get top four, maybe they've already thought that the title's out of their reach this season already with Dortmund flying. You don't really know, but it's not the, it's not the risk that I would have, have liked to see. It's very safe. And if you bring him in, what's he going to do now he might completely blow me away and um you know they're going to go out and win the league and be 15 20 points clear and then i'll have to eat my hat at the end of the season but at the moment it looks like a safe appointment for me at a time when maybe they needed to take a little bit more of a risk and bring themselves back it's a bit of a nostalgic appointment almost like you know yeah there's there's a lot of problem with mm, with nostalgic appointments and people call for it all the time um, and it's not necessarily the right one because you do look back with rose-tinted spectacles mm. and, you know, he's won a treble and no one's going to take that away. And previously he's won, you know, titles and all sorts in the time he's gone before. But what happens if it goes wrong now? Is that legacy tainted? I think mm. that's always a worry. Yeah, I agree. That's that's one of my big worries because he did all of this four years ago. Look, four years ago, um, Ribery was 30 and Robin was 29. You know, they were at the peak and he's basically, it's almost, it's almost like he's taking over the same squad. Yes, Hummels is in there and Kimmich because Philip and Philip Lahm is gone, right? Um, Rudy, of course, is in for, for Alonso. Um, although that was, that was after, uh, Hank has left. So there hasn't really been a huge change in, in the side. Um, and that is something that as a Bayern fan would get me worried that, you know, he's four years on and not that much has changed, but football has changed enormously. It's a different 
very different game. When Heinkes left, the, the, the main formation was 4-2-3-1. Now most Bundesliga teams play with three in the back and two forwards. Bayern don't even have a second forward. They have Lewandowski and that's it. So, you know, there's all these issues. Um, the, the way the side is built, it's, you can't do, you can't, even with the old manager, you can't, um, re- reproduce this. What they need is a massive change. And I, I get that you can't do that at this point of the season because the transfer window is closed. We're seven days into a game. And I think that they, that they're trying, what they're trying to do is to basically, um, stabilize the situation. Because they, they realized that they made a big mistake last summer when they hang, when they did not fire Ancelotti. And I mean, I think looking back, you could sense that things were going wrong, um, at Bayern. Remember we did the podcast, Chris, in, was it in August when they were in, in China and everything just went down south for them? And we were saying, well, this is not working. And that would have been for me the time when you're like, well, obviously it's not. We can still repair this. That's when they should have made the change. Yeah, they should have done it, and it went from bad to worse from there, didn't it? There was a problem in China, then they were embarrassed in their own tournament. Um, and realistically, we were talking about this um, in, I'd probably say, all the way back in February time, so we could see it. Mm. I would have expected that if Bayern are going to make the change now, a few match days in, they must have had a feeling that it wasn't going right even in the back of their mind, even if we know it was a bit of a snap decision and it was, it came off the back of the PSG game and it came off the back of the players not being happy. But these things don't just turn overnight. It's been a long process. And for me, then maybe they should have acted at the end of last season uh, in May time or even June, the latest and changed the manager. And they wouldn't have had the problem now. Uh, they're trying to look around and find someone who fits the glove to make everybody happy. And some of those players who they're going to have to make happy, they won't even be there in 18 months. So that's what I'm saying. They need to probably take a little bit more of a risk, maybe speak to those players who are not particularly happy and say, look, really sorry, you're in the twilight. Clear. Iron Robbins one retired from international football as we speak now, mm. you know, about 10 minutes ago as we record. So his time in the game is not going to be that far left. Mm. And they should be looking to the likes of Sula and Rudy, not for who do you want to be your manager, but they should be looking towards, you know, those types of guys, Serge Gnabry again, they're the, they're the players that are going to drive Bayern on in the next two, three, four, five, six seasons. And they need a manager that's going to replicate that. And I think maybe they've bottled that decision. Yeah, I think, I think so too. Well, well can, I, can I just ask, who do you guys, who do you, would you put your money on coming in in the summer? And who actually is going to be the best manager to take them forward? Obviously, an 1860 fan, a Dortmund fan, but you know, who's best for Bayern Munich? Oh. Yeah, you know, this is, this is a really difficult one, Bryce. I, I'm not sure Nagelsmann is ready for Bayern. I think he would be tactically the best because he can bring in that 3-5-2, but so could Tuchel. So I, I, I'm just not sure whether Nagelsmann is the right choice. And the problem is that Romanege and Hoeneß disagree on Nagelsmann. Romanege thinks that Nagelsmann is too inexperienced and Hoeneß, apparently, from what I've heard, sees something in himself in Nagelsmann. Now, for those who don't know, Hoeneß had to retire at the age of 27 and he became what we call in German manager of Bayern, right? So the sporting director at the age of 27 and he built Bayern as we know it today from then onwards, right? Um, so he looks at Nagelsmann and he sees himself and there is something quite risky about that, I think. And Romanigge sees that, but 
these two are they're disagreeing on that. And I personally, um, I don't often agree with Rummenigge, but I think he might be right. Because if Bayern hire Nagelsmann at the age of 31, just, you know, and something goes wrong, they're going to burn that guy. They're going to burn the potential that the, he has as a manager, and he's still going to be available for them four or five years down the road. And I think it would be a smarter decision to go some, with someone like Tuchel. Um, a couple other names that you hear all the time is Klopp um, for next summer and Joachim Löw also for next summer. Should Germany win the World Cup, Löw could come in. Now, those are proven managers that could reform the side, right? Um, I'm not saying that these are the guys that are going to come in, but that's the kind of guys that Rummenigge wants to see. So my money wouldn't be necessarily on Nagelsmann, but he's definitely an option. And it's the same with Tuchel. I think that could be still uh, could be another hot, hot topic come August. Uh, I know that Bayern don't actually know what they're going to do next summer. That is that is the one thing that's certain. They don't actually know. Yeah, well, all eyes are going to be on that game over the weekend as they are at home to Freiburg. But the biggest game, you'd have to say, over the weekend is going to be Dortmund taking on RB Leipzig. Uh, Chris, the last time the two teams met, uh, there was a bit of trouble, wasn't there? Dortmund fans, um, well, misbehaved, you know, a a bit aggressively towards the Leipzig fans. Um, But hopefully... um, this won't. This type of thing won't happen again. Uh, what should we uh, see on the pitch then? Both sides very attacking, as we know. Uh, what way do you see it going? Well, to say they misbehaved would be probably a massive understatement. Um, yeah, it wasn't the um, best of scenes, um, and potentially because it was on, uh, you know, just normal people who've gone to watch a football match. It wasn't, you know, any sort of elements fighting each other. Um, so hopefully we won't see that again. Um, but on the pitch, wow, Dortmund are flying. We all know that domestically they're flying. In Europe, they're having a bit of a harder um, time. But domestically, they're flying. They're knocking goals in for fun. Um, and Leipzig are on the rise. A little bit of a shaky start. But you know, now they're in fourth. They're, you know, they're on 13 points. They'll be looking for that win. If, if the results go the right way for them this weekend, you know, they could find themselves second with a win at Signal Iduna Park. So they will approach it with... Um, I would say their normal verve, the way they approach every game they look to attack. It's going to be such a good game, and we've seen lots of stuff happening on the sides, and we saw a lot last season, um, you know, some of the shenanigans on the side with the managers, which was great to see. It, it's always now, since Leipzig have been promoted, it's a bit of a good fixture. The very first meeting together was a, was a stormer of a meeting, and then, you know, we had last season um, for the game that we're going to have here in Dortmund, was another good game. I think we're going to be installed. It's it's a Saturday evening game. You know, it's a half five game over here. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be an excellent game and one we're all going to wait and see. And I'm not going to try and predict this game. Um, I, I think that at the moment it can go either way, which is a horrendous thing to say as a, as a journalist. Well, I don't really know which way it's going to go, but one of them's going to win. Is pretty much what I've said. But it's it's one of those games that can literally go any way because the stakes are high for both sides at the moment it, I'm going to be really interested how Bosch approaches it, whether he sticks with the 4-3-3, whether he plays his Dortmund way and he expects Leipzig to um, have a little bit of a change of variation or whether he's just going to pull something out of the bag for us all to be a little mm-hmm. bit surprised about 
And Manu, just uh, quickly, what way do you see the game going? Obviously, Chris was saying it's a hard one to call. Do you see uh, Dortmund having the upper hand because they're sitting top, or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I actually just wrote an article on this uh, on com on what went wrong for the Bundesliga sites in Europe. And um, the one thing that I said about Dortmund is that the Peter Bosch came in as a new manager and he brought in a completely different style of football than Tuchel played. Tuchel, of course, often played with that 3-4-3 or the 3-5-2 and um, very much ball possession oriented and um, a bit more, you know, hanging back, a bit more defensively. And Peter Bosch, of course, he's known for that Ajax style of football, the 4-3-3, very attacking high line, uh, very, very risky, especially if you haven't played it, um, you know, if you haven't played it for a long time. And the, the thing that I pointed out with Dortmund is the, the reason why they're flying high in the league um, is because they had a little bit of a good schedule for them domestically. The teams that they face domestically haven't really been able to challenge them and challenge that high line quite as well as one of the very top teams could in the Bundesliga. Now, in against Tottenham, they were found out. They 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 actually on paper dominated that game, but you know they they the defensive high line was found out, and Real Madrid did something very similar to them. So that this is basically their third try this season against the top team to to play the system, and I'm very curious to see if um, it's finally clicking. You know, because we all knew that this is going to happen. Bosch said in a press conference, I think in the beginning of the season, we are going to lose some games by a high margin. It's going to happen because the system that I want to play is risky. And once it's clicking, it will bring us a lot of success. But every once in a while, especially in the beginning, there will be results that will look uh, really bad. And we had two of those results already. And I'm really curious to see. And this is this is so maybe the thing that I'm looking the most forward to in this game. Have they learned from their mistakes against Tottenham and Real Madrid defensively? Of Attacking-wise, I have no worries at all because... Uh, Leipzig's defense is very young, very inexperienced. So I think I'm not worried about that at all. But Leipzig are going to press high. They, Hasenhüttl is a very intelligent coach. He knows exactly where the weaknesses are in Dortmund's side. His high-pressing machine is going to really try to hurt them. Timo Werner is back for this game as well. So that's going to be a massive worry for them. So I think that is the number one thing I'm looking forward to. And I think, Chris, this is, you know, they, this is their first test in the Bundesliga, when you look at all the games that they had, this is the first time they're facing a top, top side. Yeah, it is most definitely. And that's why I'll be interested, like you will, to see how the back four um, cope because they didn't cope at all um, against Real Madrid, really. Obviously, I was there for the Tottenham game in the press box. And yeah, you were right. They bossed the possession, but they were just torn apart down um, down the right-hand side that night. Um you know, Kane and Son just tore them apart, and was um, was um, Piszczek was um, Piszczek, Socrates, um, top rack just didn't have the best of games, and I don't think it helped that the midfield that night, so Kagawa, Sahin, and Dahoud didn't particularly gel until I think it was about fifteen twenty minutes, and of course we'd had a glut of goals by then. Um, it was 2-1 after 15 minutes and, and the midfield hadn't even really settled down. 
So I'll be interested to see how they cope, like you've already said, with that high press, because we all know and we all saw the other week what Timo Werner can do with even what looks to be a half-placed ball out the back. He could just get onto that and drive at goal and drive against defenders and, and you know dispatch the ball from outside the area into the top corner if he has to. And he's a man that's in excellent form. So, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. And this might be the game. This might be the game, Manu, where you know they lose by a high amount and it will be how do they bounce back for that. Um, but then subsequently, are Leipzig going to be at full strength? Uh, you know, international break comes at a good time for no one, really. So we'll have to wait and see which one it's favoured the pair of. I'm excited for this game. I, I, I really am because I think there's a lot of question marks on bo- about both sides because we haven't really seen the best from Leipzig yet either. You know, they have been so fluctuating in, in Europe and in the Bundesliga. And, um, I, I'm really curious to see how they're going to handle this game as well. So it's it's going to be obviously it's the top game, but it's going to be a game that's I think it's going to answer a lot of questions about where the season is going to go for both of them. This is of course match day eight, and that's when we get into that region where we can say, well, this is how the league could look like, right? Um, Chris, you often mention, mention that magic number 10, right? The, that's usually when you can see, okay, this is maybe where it's going to go. Yeah, I'll, I'll completely go along with that. It's going to be interesting. We're getting towards that number now, aren't we? So, mm. um, yeah, the legal starts to settle down. It's normally for me, Manu, is when it starts to get cold. I've got a couple of friends mm. over in Germany and I've seen on Facebook this week that they are starting to wear hats and gloves. So I think it's time we've probably started looking at the table. Yeah, okay, well, getting cold. Don't remind me of that. I've just come back from San Francisco where I had 26 degrees Celsius every day. <laughs> it's going to be hard enough to adjust to um, my winter, which is almost non-existence, but I'm going to be back in Germany in, in a month. And yeah, hats and gloves. I, I shudder to think about that. Yeah, and boy, does it get cold there by the signs of things. But um, yeah, let, guys, let's uh, look at one of the other fixtures. Um, well, Definitely towards the other end of the table uh, as uh, the weekend begins with Stuttgart taking on Cologne. Cologne, as we've uh, covered quite a few times uh, on the podcast, they've had an absolute nightmare of a season so far, yet in Europe, but also the league as well. And things are not going to be helped by uh, well, their main man up front in John Cordova pulling up with a hamstring injury and now being out for seven weeks. Um, Chris, this is very much... A must win for Cologne, isn't it? I mean, you, you spoke about you us getting close to the 10 games. And if they haven't got a win in 10 games, yeah, things are going to be very difficult. You know, you're going into the, well, the next parts of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think that's for me, that's when I start to look at the top of the table after 10 games. But if you're Cologne and you sat on the bottom with one point after seven, um, and you, the teams around them now, the gaps three points to Bremen then, you know, it's six points. That's two games um, to the teams where they could consider themselves getting a little bit out of safety. Um, or sorry, a little bit out of danger and back into safety. This is a, a, a massive game for them. And Stuttgart have, have dropped down a little recently. You know, they're on 14th and they're on seven points. So a win for them and they will be jumping straight back up, probably you would imagine if the results go for them on the match day, they could find themselves from 14th, probably around about 10th on the Sunday night after the Bremen Gladbach game. So it'll be up for them there to uh, to get a good victory. 
um, at home. Uh, we all know what their home grounds like and what their fans are like and how passionate it is. Um, I'll be really interested to see what, well, obviously what the players have done because they've either been on an international duty or they've been on a little bit of a stand down or a break. Um, but I'll be interested to see what the Cologne management and I say all the coaches and the, and the higher echelon of the staff have got themselves together over the last couple of weeks and thought, how can we get ourselves out of this rut? Um, no pun intended. Uh, but it is a rut that they're in and it's, it's getting to a real desperate stage for them now. It's exceptionally desperate. And yeah, you're right. They've had to bring in, um, Pizarro, who, you know, we spoke about this last time. He's a bit of an old guy, but, He's going to vital, revitalize that dressing room. Um, John Cordoba, the you know, blood in the French, but it looks like he can't hit a cow's ass with a banjo at the moment. So that's going to have to change. I'm just hoping for them because we all enjoyed watching them last year and we all thought we were going to enjoy watching them this season, especially in the Europa League, and it's not happened yet. I'm hoping for them that it kicks on, that this little bit of a break, they've been able to revitalize the whole setup and they'll come out fighting on the Friday night game, which obviously is live across the world, isn't it? Yeah, this the Friday fixture always is. It's um, usually reserved for the big t games, and I think this is a big game. You know, two of Germany's heavy hitters going at each other in a game that means a lot. You know, Stuttgart. In some ways, we spoke about Stuttgart before the season and looked at the squad, the players that they brought in, and, and we probably expected to, them to be there where Hannover is and be pretty much the other way around, right? And um, they they have looked good in many of the games, but haven't produced the points um, to show for. And Köln um, is such an odd one for me because I do think that they have the quality. Uh, I, I, I was one of those people that said they should, you know, selling Modest to take the money um, was the right decision. Now, in retrospect, I think I was wrong. I think they should have done whatever it takes to keep him. Uh, I didn't think the hole would be that big for them. And obviously it is. I, I, I think Cordoba is a great forward and um, in the long term will produce something for them. But I think it would have been better for him to be signing Cordoba and have Modeste at the same time to have a more fluid transition. And I think that was a big loss for them and they, they haven't been really able to cope with that. And now Cordoba is out for seven weeks. Pizarro is probably going to play... Uh, 39-year-old forward, and it's going to be such a desperate game. Um, I think the one thing that strikes me is Peter Stöger, the head coach from Köln. He's such a um, cool customer, you know. He doesn't doesn't seem to be worried about any of this very much. He's, you know, we're just going to have to get get out, get dig ourselves out of this grave and um, get the results. He's had a long interview with Kicker, and he. He seemed very confident that they can get the job done. And I think they can. I think they have the squad for it. I think they have a strong enough team to get the job done and get, get themselves out of this, this really deep hole. Yeah, you talked about Stuger there, but how much longer would Cologne possibly hold on to uh, Peter Stuger's view? Somebody is going to have to uh, go down um, you know, to blame for this, uh, I would say. I, I don't, I, you know, this is, this is a funny one. I don't think they will be served well. By firing their coach, Köln is a club that's always on, that's always been on the brink of chaos or in chaos. Um, and that's because just the whole setup of the team. It's a very emotional. And since Stöger has been there, it's been calm. Um, and that's been one of the reasons they have been successful. And I think 
it's relatively calm in Köln now. You don't hear anything about any problems in the Druska in the squad. You don't hear anything about management, etc. It might be going on, but behind closed doors. And that's, that's a huge difference from now than it was before. And I think, um, if they have fired a coach, then Pandora's box is opened and this team will descend in the kind of chaos that we saw in the late nineties all the way up to Stöger's appointment. And I think, that is maybe um, the one thing that they shouldn't do. I think they would not improve the results. It would probably make things worse. So, you know, hanging on to Stöger. And I think, Chris, when you are in the relegation battle, um, displaying this kind of confidence and the calmness that he's displaying is exactly what you want to do, right? Yeah, I would. They are rock bottom at the moment. And... Um, the last thing I would say they need to do at the moment, at this very moment, is fire the head coach because that will just leave a vacuum um, that will either be filled and everything will be okay or it will just suck the life out of everything. Um, they, you're quite right. They have got a good, you know, they've got some real good players there. Bittencourt, I, I like, is a good player. Um, obviously, um, Lehman is a captain for a reason. Um, Osako, I like. Cordoba, if he, if he just gets clicking, he can, he can be fine. Um, obviously, Timo Horn, who I, I think is a great keeper, I've done for a few <laughs> years. They've got everything there. They've got all of the ingredients to be successful. Um, it's just they're in a rut. Um, and I would probably, if I was going to be employed for Cologne for, you know, the next season, I would look to give him until match day 15, maybe 16. Um, and if it's not gone right, then I would look to change and that's you know, effectively what um Wolfsburg did last season wasn't it they um chopped just before the winter break get someone in just before the winter break and then they've got two weeks to you know get their stuff sorted out get their the way they want to play if they want to bring anybody new in they've got that time to do that so I, I would look that if they are still rock bottom now match day 15 Bryce um I will say that he's you know, he's a dead man walking, but now I think would be a little bit too early because simply who are they going to get to come in and lift the club? I, I, I will argue that, that Thomas Tuchel is not going to be interested um, no matter what. And then they're looking to take a risk. Now, I've just said that Bayern Munich need to take a risk, but Bayern Munich are Bayern Munich. They've got the backing, they've got the cash, they've got the players. Um, Cologne don't have that at the moment and they don't need to take a risk when you're rock bottom of the league like they are. They need to just have a little bit of consistency and look to try and change it every single match day for a little bit of an improvement. Um, so we're looking, can they pull a few draws together? Can they then make those draws into a couple of wins? Can those couple of wins then go back-to-back wins? And if they can do that, all of a sudden, in the next seven or eight matches, they've picked up 10 or 11 points. And all of a sudden, you know, they're mid-table again. I think if they were to bring the axe down on him now, we could get to Christmas time and they could be looking at doing another axe job. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I would like to see uh, Stuger stay on, if I'm honest. Um, let's just hope they can uh, pull it around sooner rather than later. But, guys, I think that more or less does it for this week. Uh, we'll do a bit of a plug, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, Chris, what have you got going on this week uh, or the coming week and you'd like to draw people's attention to? Well, anybody that does follow me, thank you if you do, will notice that my Twitter's a bit quiet. So I've in essence started a new job and I'm massively busy at the moment. But um, we will have, or I will have, some um, 
Champions League and Europa League previews coming out in the next um, week or so. Um, so keep an eye on that. Signs. Good. Manu, you're always busy. What have you got going on? Yeah, um, the Champions League Europa League previews, they're coming. Well, it's been, you know, thick and fast. Um, October is always a busy month. So they're coming Sunday, Monday. Um, I think we're previewing 14 games all together next week. So, um, look out for that. Then the, the Bundesliga previews, Dortmund, we're doing the Dortmund and the Bayern game as always. And, um, we have, a really big story breaking on football grad. Um, it's, we, we once in a while work together with a company, with a, with a group of journalists, um, from Romania that are a part of the football leaks. So that article is coming out, uh, will be out by the time this podcast is out on footballgrad.com. Um, and it's about, um, player agencies, etc. So look out for that. And yeah, other than that, um, Football Grad Podcast is back in action. We'll record that tomorrow. Golazzo is being recorded tomorrow. So tons going on, Bryce. Football Grad Network is very busy. Yeah, very much. You can head over there and see plenty of interesting articles and the new podcasts will be out very soon. Guys, thanks for tuning in. If you could head over to iTunes, we'd really appreciate you doing a bit of a have a review or leave some uh, positive comments on there. Uh, that would be great if you could. Um, I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at Bryce Dunn11. Uh, apart from that, enjoy the games over the weekend and I'll be in. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag. Und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. Danny Pellegrino here with a very merry iconic podcast here to tell you about AMC Plus with best Christmas ever on AMC Plus. Every day feels like Christmas morning from new holiday favorites like Elf and one of my personal favorites, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You can spend the holiday season opening up only the good stuff. Plus, you'll get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.